0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. Lauren and I are back. From the Conservative Political Action Conference in Back, Orlando, Florida. But not fully rested. <laughs> but not fully rested. We still need to catch up on sleep. The fact that the State of the Union address was right after CPAC was just mean in some ways. But we're, <laughs> sometime, one of these days, we will get a full night's <laughs> rest. But thank you to everyone who came by the booth uh, and who picked up one of our problematic women tumblers. It was so awesome getting to meet so many problematic women. So many. So many at the conference. It was just a blast. Super high energy. Um, so if if you were there, send us a shout out. We loved getting getting to meet and interact with you. So many great moments. Lauren, was there one moment that you loved?
0: Mm, that's such a good question. I don't know. I'm going to be cheesy with this because you get always to be cheesy. Mm. Um, <laughs> but our the crew that went just never complained. Always yeah. had really great energy. Was always excited. If you've never worked a conference before or tabled like that, it is so draining mm-hmm. just to talk to person after person have the same conversation and everybody did it with a smile on their face. The reporters at the Daily Signal did 45 interviews and it was just a ton of work and it, it was just the teamwork like that you don't get in a lot of teams. So mm-hmm. really proud to be with that crew that week.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that is such a gift. Um, mm. Find Find yourself a good team of people mm. to work with because it, it really does change your life. Like You spend so much time at work every day and it's an honor to get to work with good people. Mm and wow And we got chicken nuggets every day. And we got chicken. So much chicken. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Lauren, we have a full show planned. Go ahead and let us know what we have queued up.
0: Up on today's Problematic Women, if you miss President Biden's State of the Union, we're kind of jealous, but we have you covered. We are going to be sharing a full rundown of the speech and fact-checking some of Biden's claims. We also share an update on the situation in Ukraine, plus its Women's History Month. We are kicking off the month by talking about some of the women who have influenced our lives the most. And as always, we'll be crowning our problematic Woman of the Week.
1: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If
0: you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
1: All right, let's get to it.
0: President Joe Biden delivered his first State of the Union address Tuesday night. The speech was about an hour long, and if you missed it, don't worry, we brought in an expert to break it down. Joining us is our friend and the spokesperson for the Heritage Foundation, Genevieve Wood. Genevieve, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you,
1: <laughs> as always. <laughs> <laughs> this is super fun. Genevieve, I, I want to start by talking about kind of the best and worst of President Biden's State of the Union address. So what are what are two things that strike you as, OK, this was actually a good moment and something you know we should feel proud of, a highlight of the speech? And then what was one of the moments that kind of made you cringe?
2: Well, there were a lot more of the latter and very few <laughs> of the cringe? former. I, I cringed throughout. <laughs> well, I mean, just, you know, there were obviously moments where he tried to display unity. And when he, you know, you hit the folks in the balcony, which mm-hmm. is a tradition since the Reagan days. And obviously the little boy that, you know, uh, takes insulin. and They talked about prescription drugs. You know, of mm-hmm. course, everybody loves the little <laughs> the children <laughs> and wants to help. But, you know, there were times where he really tried to try to find those unifying moments. The problem was. He just didn't have the facts to back any of it mm-hmm. up. I mean, of course, we're all wanting to get rid of inflation and high prices. But it's his administration's policies that are driving up the high prices. Yeah. So can't clap for that. You know, I, he started with Ukraine. And here's all the things that we're doing. And I just kept thinking on top of there were things that we sh- there are additional things we should be doing, like not buying oil from yeah. Russia. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why weren't you doing all this stuff two months ago? Mm mm-hmm a year ago, Mm -hmm. if you wanted it to be preventative, then you do it before it starts, not after. And so it just was hard to, to, I think, if you know what's happening in these issue areas, it was very hard to give him a good grade.
1: Yeah. No. one of the the areas where I thought he was trying to create unity was he said, we shouldn't be defunding the police. And, you know, everyone stood up. And clapped, um, but but like, they are defunding. But yeah, it's like <laughs> so. This is let's, the problem. Let's have actions match words. And right. why why haven't you been saying that, shouting that from the rooftops from day one? Of, That's right. We need to be supporting our police
2: and supporting our veterans. Mm-hmm. Talked all about that, but interestingly, did not mention Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you? It, so that, this is where it just was two. It was like two different worlds, kind of that that I felt we were living in as I was watching the speech. What he said. Did not match up with what his administration in many cases has been doing.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's scary because who knows what the average American watching is thinking, right? Like they don't know that Biden is just gaslighting them because seven minutes in, I I
2: turned around. We were watching it with colleagues and I was like, he hasn't said anything that we disagree with yet. Yeah. Well, it's like Virginia said, actions have to match the words. And I, I look. His approval rating says something. Mm. I think most Americans can say you can yada 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 about inflation, but what I see is what is or is not on the shelf at the grocery store. What I see is the rising prices of gas when I go up to fill the minivan. 394 on my way into work. There, well, yeah. have you seen the place next to Heritage? I think it's over four bucks. But which is appropriate because people on Capitol Hill should have to pay the highest <laughs> prices <laughs> since they are responsible. But I mean no, I mean I just think the average person like you can hear the yada yada coming mm. out of DC and coming from from Biden But it doesn't match up with what they see in real life. It doesn't match up with the pictures they're seeing on their TV of what's happening in Ukraine. Certainly did match up with what they saw happening in Afghanistan and people hanging on to, to planes trying mm-hmm. to get out. I mean, people, they, they know what's going
1: on without having to watch everything he does. Yeah. Well, one thing that we did here at The Daily Signal was we we wrote a fact check of of President Biden's speech and kind of went through of, OK, this is what he said. This is what's right about that. This is what's wrong about that. So I want to go through. A few of these points, um, starting with some of his claims about the economy. So Biden said that our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs last year, more jobs created in one year than ever before in the history of America. So in part, this is true um but the us keep in mind lost 9.5 million jobs in 2020 due to the covid-19 pandemic and the economy it's continuing to struggle uh heritage's Rachel Gresler she reports that 49% of businesses they're reporting job openings that they're not able to fill right now yeah because because we're recreating a lot of jobs that existed, as you rightly pointed
2: out, before the pandemic happened, they went away. Then we started paying people not to go back to work, mm-hmm. so the jobs have come back, but the people haven't because yeah. <laughs> they're sitting at home. You know, I mean, so this is again just. And we're at a 40-year high for inflation, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So when he talks about, oh, everything's great, again, I just don't think people feel that. And people see help-wanted signs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the fact that they see so many is a sign, oh, wow, the economy is just so robust. People realize it's kind of like the supply chain issues. There's something off here.
1: Yeah, well, and Biden did. He he touted that. He said that he has a plan to fight inflation and to lower your costs, to lower the deficit. Uh, so I want to play that clip of what Biden said was his plan to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. Folks, that means make more cars and semiconductors in America, more infrastructure and innovation in America, more goods moving faster and cheaper in America more jobs where you can earn a good living in America. Instead of relying on foreign supply chains, let's make it in America. Yeah. So it's not clear yet um, what this plan would actually cost, but Biden's track record on spending bills does not imply that uh, his plan to fight inflation would actually lower the deficit, which is his claim. In fact, Biden said uh, last year that his $4.6 trillion Build Back Better spending bill would not add a single penny to the national debt or the annual budget deficit. Um, the plan, fortunately, it didn't pass. But if it had, it would have added an estimated $3 trillion to the deficit between 2022 and 2031. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are, are watching to see, we're, we're watching and are watching to see how Biden is addressing this economic crisis that we're facing in America. And I feel like people walked away from the speech, Genevieve, like you said, still sort of unsure of, okay, wait, how, how are we actually fixing inflation? Right.
2: I, well, and the numbers you just
1: read off, not that they wouldn't be true and accurate if they were put
2: out by the Heritage Foundation, but these were put out by the Congressional Budget Office saying <laughs> your thing is going to cost trillions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And The Washington Post, I think, gave it three Pinocchios. OK, so these are not conservative economists. You know, he kept talking about all these noble laureates that are on his for his plan on where these people are, but they need to read the facts. And again, th- they've been touting this story. For over a year, since he's been in office, they're going to pass this stuff. Uh, they, as we know, Democrats control the House. They control the Senate, narrow majority in the Senate. But nonetheless, they haven't been able to get this through because they can't even convince some in their own party that this is a good idea. So, look, he it's a lot of talk right now. The prices are still high. And I think most people are like... We kind of don't really care how you do it. Just get the prices down. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's he hasn't suggested anything I've heard or coming out of his administration that's going to just going to accomplish that.
0: It makes me think of that Ronald Reagan quote is the the scariest words in the English language is I'm from the government <laughs> and I'm here to help. Right. Yep. And, and Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, was on the Kevin Roberts show this week. And he said that it's not about these government programs. It's not about the legislation. It's about the fact that government tells people that, oh, here are the programs that I'm going to help you. It's just like the government said, they claim that they created 6.5 million jobs, but you lost 9.5 million jobs because of COVID. It's like, Jeremy, if I ask you for 20 bucks and then I hand you a $10 bill and I said aren't you so grateful that I just
2: gave you $10? <laughs> You've been in D.C. too long. Now, so I don't just do to sound like a politician. Well, but the other thing is like the government doesn't create jobs. Yeah. Okay, first of all, you the, what the government does or is supposed to do is either pass policies or not pass policies that allow the business community to flourish. If mm-hmm. you overregulate it, it makes it tough for them to do that. If you don't have so many regulations, it makes it easier for them to open up and, and usually hire more people. So it's the business community that starts and creates jobs, not the government. So I just hate it when I hear politicians say that from the get-go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Retweet Genevieve.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two other claims that Biden made that, quote, there's been an onslaught of state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families. And the check is no. The president appears to have been referring to bills designed to protect women's sports and women-only spaces. In 2021, 37 states introduced bills to prevent biological males who identify as women from competing on girls' and women's sports teams, and nine of these states passed such legislation. These bills protect fairness in sports, as we talk about pretty much every week on the show. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy. But women should be able to compete on women's teams,
2: and that's not taking rights away from any other person. Can I just bring up again that he didn't talk about Afghanistan, <laughs> but we had to get a plug-in for the transgender agenda, uh, yeah. right? I mean, th- this was what it was. The latter part of his speech, which is where this came out, was kind of the little laundry list of all the things the far-left base in his party exactly. wants to hear. It was a lot
1: of these one sentences what, It felt like stuff. he was checking a box mm. of the left wants to hear this, the left wants me to say this. And it was just bam, 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 bam. Not, not Very few of which the
2: average American citizen is probably got top of mind right now. Now. And mm-hmm. some of the things that were top of mind, he didn't even hit. So I, you know, it, would, that was, it, it was throwaway language to folks so that he could say, oh, I, I talked about that in the State of the Union. I talked about that. Blah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Biden also said to move forward in America, we must protect access to health care and abortion rights. Here's a clip. If you want to go forward, not backwards, we must protect access to health care preserve a woman's right to choose, and continue to advance maternal health care for all Americans. So we put together, last night we were up late, it was like 11.30, we put together this video on the Daily Signal, and this is actually my favorite
1: part, we played that same clip, and it's like, fact checked: abortion is not healthcare.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was great. Lauren, you did an awesome job with that video. I'm just going to give a shout out and oh. a plug. Anyone that has not seen it, go check it out. It's all over Twitter, YouTube, it's fantastic. I mean, a hundred Good thousand stuff. people have
0: watched it. No, no big deal. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's like okay, no, no, no. Since since when is is abortion healthcare? It, it's not. And again, it, it's that liberal talking point. He knew that the far left wanted him to say it, so he said it. I'm like, <laughs> he knew that he everybody else had it? tuned out by yeah, then. Exactly. <laughs> that was the end of the speech. Nobody's listening at this point anyway.
2: Yeah, no, he had to say it. He had to because he he kind of tied it into the coming you know Supreme Court decision on, on Roe, which is going to be a, obviously a very very big deal. Uh, but yeah, again, that was just another laundry list. I mean, and that, much of. The speech to me after you got off the top part of ukraine the rest of it sounded like it had been written i don't know a month ago yeah. know, it could have been written time. It, well, it was not current really at all and it was just a d triple c fundraising email yes
1: yeah. <laughs> you <right>. know <laughs> that's right yeah well i uh, was speaking earlier this week with um, congressman michael guest of mississippi and you know he said that he thought at the end of the speech, the question that every American should be asking themselves is, am I better off now than I was this time a year ago? And I was like, you know, that's a really good question to ask really any time a politician comes into office to think about, OK, how have things shifted and changed in my community, in America? What are the implications of this individual being in power uh, in in my life, in my community personally? So um, that's a question I've been asking myself and certainly a good one for, for all of us to be asking. But stay with us, because up next, we discuss what Biden had to say about the crisis in Ukraine during his State of the Union address, and also give a little bit of an update on just where things stand between Russia and Ukraine. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with the issues that I care about. If you are anything like me, you enjoy researching interesting topics on YouTube or simply just being entertained. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is well well-researched, and actually trustworthy. This is where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and give you the data and facts succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. So go ahead, if you haven't already, and subscribe to The Daily Signal's YouTube channel so you can stay informed and never miss out on the content you care about. Russia is continuing its invasion of Ukraine. Civilians and military personnel have been killed by Russian explosives. And this invasion was launched just about a week before the State of the Union. Uh, So, of course, Biden couldn't ignore it. As as we said earlier, he did talk about it right at the beginning of the speech. Um, And this was actually probably one of the better parts of the State of the Union. Biden praised the Ukrainian people. He praised their president for his courage. He said that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. And everyone in the audience even invited them to stand to show that support, that American support. For Ukraine, that we are standing with Ukraine. Um, so, you know, when, when we think about um, the situation there, the latest of what is happening, um, honestly, I, I think it's really impressive that Ukraine is, is holding on, that they have been able to hold on as long as they had, because not many people thought that they would be able to stand this long mm-hmm. against Russia. Um, and of course, I think our, our hopes and prayers are with them and our hope is that they're going to be able to continue to stand. Do you all think that they can, that they can hold on much longer?
2: Well, I mean, some of that depends on what they're going to get in terms of the, from uh, the outside world in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, updating their their military equipment and supplies. Look, they are clearly fighting like crazy. I think uh, in some cases the Ukrainian people were underestimated and perhaps mm-hmm. the Russian army was overestimated and <laughs> mm-hmm. what it would do. But nonetheless. The Russian army is clearly well-funded and huge compared to to what Ukraine has to work with. So it's extremely important we find a way to get more equipment to them, Uh, more missiles and tomahawks and all the stuff, all the things that I don't even know about, uh, but that they (laughs) they need to fight back. And again, he didn't say it last night, the president didn't say it in his State of the Union – about sending American troops, and I think no one is legitimately mm-hmm. wanting to say that. But we can send weapons, and we can continue to find other ways to make it really hard on Russia. And again, I think we shouldn't be buying oil from Russia right yeah. now. That's a, I mean, you know, we're, we're freezing his bank accounts and doing these sanctions here, but we're still putting hundreds of billions of dollars into his pocket by buying oil.
1: Mm-hmm. And so are other parts of the world. So that that needs to be revisited. Now, I think that is the biggest thing that we need to talk about re, moving forward, reopening the Keystone XL pipeline here in America so that we can be energy independent and we don't have to be dependent on anyone else, let alone Russia for our oil. I mean, that's just insane.
2: It's insane that we've been doing it. I mean, the reality is we'd moved away from that. Now we're right back in it, and it's allowing Putin to do a lot of the mischief that he's doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating watching
0: the left really praise the Ukrainian people for standing up, and they're doing such a good job. And when the the secret sauce, when you think about it, of the Ukrainians is that they love their country. They're willing to fight for their country. And, you know, at the end of the day, they support gender roles, right? It's the men who are stepping up and are are taking on the arms. And, and it's everything the left wants to destroy here in America that men and women are completely equal and they have to be equal in everything. And America is a racist country that we should be ashamed of. And you think if that was to happen here today, like if we don't have that pride in our country, how could you ever protect your country?
2: No, that really it really matters. Mm. It matters what people believe about who they are and what their country stands for. And clearly, yeah. You know, but the, look, this is a, a country that twenty some odd years ago was part of, of Russia, right? Mm-hmm. So they have recently come into their own, mm. even though they've had a long history of being different mm-hmm. than than just the Russian uh, Federation there. But but nonetheless, it's amazing to see what they've done. But we've got to keep we've got to keep supporting them, and we have to keep finding additional ways mm. to really pressure Russia. And I hate to say it, but the Russian people. I know that many of them may not be supporting this, mm-hmm. but until they're feeling the pressure, they, you know, and it's tough. I mean, Putin is a dictator. He, he's he I wouldn't put it past him to mow down, I hate to say it, uh, demonstrations in his own country against what he's doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well I think it, it's been incredible to see what is happening on the ground in Ukraine. There's um a war correspondent, Nolan um Peter Bola Peterson. Bola yeah, He used to work for the Daily Signal. Yeah, yeah. Um and he's on the ground there. And he's been posting a lot. He's getting updates from people on the front lines. And he's talking about how in some ways life is just kind of continuing on in bomb shelters that, you know, people are are still living their lives. Babies are being born. Yeah. Babies are being born, mass is being performed mm-hmm. all in these bomb shelters. You know, when when the sirens go off, you know, kids go out and play in the street when it's safe, and then you know, families kind of go back down. Um you're you're hearing kind of, you know, different reports of of daughters and wives having to say goodbye to their fathers their husbands as they're essentially you know going off to the front line and they don't know that they're going to come back it's very very sobering but it's really incredible to see that human spirit that Mm -hmm. drive to protect their own country to protect their way of life and to stand against totalitarianism it's tragic but in many ways it's also really beautiful to see
2: indeed you said it well Hmm. Thank you. That's always, Virginia.
1: <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I just want to be like, ditto. Word.
0: <laughs> well, it's 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 crazy, too, because you think, like, why, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like Russia has plenty of land. Putin has plenty of people that he rules over. And Ukraine is not really infringing. But it's because, you know, Putin's ultimate goal is to break the back of NATO and separate the United States from our European allies. Katie McFarland. So. Perfectly said at our CPAC interview.
1: Yeah. So I spoke with Katie McFarlane at uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference in Florida. She's the former deputy national security advisor. And Lauren, just like you said, she talked a lot about, okay, what is actually what is Russia's ultimate goal, ultimate mission here? And she she did not mince words. She was like, yeah, Russia's trying to expand power. They want to, to. She literally said they want to break the back of NATO, and they want to separate the United States from our European allies. And she said she doesn't think that Putin is going to stop with Ukraine. She says he's going to keep going. If he's successful in taking Ukraine, then he's going to look towards the Baltics, towards Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And ultimately, I mean, his goal is really – um, to reestablish the USSR. And he wants to have that empire. power back. The mm-hmm. empire. Yeah. He wants his empire back. And in his mind, um, you know, the Cold War sort of never ended. This is like his second opportunity to, uh, to re up and to establish that world yeah. domination.
2: Well, you know, Bernie Sanders, didn't he honeymoon in the, in the, uh, USSR. Maybe nice. we should ask him if he thinks it's good <laughs> what's going on here. So nuts. Um, look, everything you just outlined that Katie McFarland said, I think is true. This is why you see Finland and Sweden saying, uh, let's talk about NATO yeah. and wanting to be but to be interested because they, they're they there. Right. So it's very not easy, but we're not next to Russia. Mm-hmm. We're not two countries over from Russia. Mm-hmm. So I think they see in a much Greater detail than we do what what is happening, but look this this is not something uh, that I think likely would have happened under the previous administration in this country. Which and it, what was the previous administration? The Trump administration. Okay. Yeah, just get that in. Uh, well, and then this is why you know your your presence on the world stage, what you say, and what they they think or don't know you're going to do matters. Mm. You know, I mean, I I think he made Putin made a calculation. Biden administration with a Democratic Congress, yeah, they're going to do some sanctions. They're going to make this kind of difficult, but it's not going to be that bad. You know, he made the decision going in is worth it because uh, based on what they will or won't do. Um, I don't think he felt that way under the Trump administration. We can't know for sure. But, you know, peace through strength, as we talk about is it's it's partially having a strong military. Absolutely. But it's also – what your beliefs and vision are for mm-hmm. the country and mm-hmm. what your vision for foreign policy is. And I think ours right now is very weak. Yeah. I think we don't think we we know any better or any better than any other country in the world. And we, you know, everybody just got an equal vote everywhere. <laughs> uh, the truth is America has, has been a strong defender of freedom around the world. And I don't mean just by sending troops, but just our very presence and making the case. And I just don't think the Biden administration has seen that way. Yeah.
1: No, I I absolutely agree, Genevieve. I think we just haven't seen that leadership from President Biden. We haven't seen him really clearly articulate this is we see America's him role on the world stage. Head down to the podium, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, we're, oh. we're, well you look, we're, we're signing deals with the Iranians again. Yeah, right. We're back in the in the mm. nuke deal, and you know, it just this is the kind of thing. It just it channels weakness and, mm-hmm. and look it's a return to the Obama years when let's not forget we had them threatening Ukraine in 2013-14 and Obama basically didn't do anything about it so yeah. we're,
1: we're back to that kind of foreign policy and China is also watching which is yes, a whole other are. conversation well, yes, <laughs> but we'll, we'll save that one for next time Genevieve we really want to thank you for your time today and coming on to break all this down we really appreciate it great to be with you all thanks all right, stay tuned because up next we're going to talk about something a little bit lighter as we celebrate Women's History Month. March is women's History Month. Um, and no matter what you think about the month, I know it's uh, a little bit of a do we really do we really need a women's History Month? <laughs> Women are no longer pressed. Um, but we figure, hey, we're going to take the opportunity to talk about some of the women who have influenced our lives the most, who we want to celebrate, who we want to honor, who we want to recognize. You mean people with uteruses, right? If people with uteruses. <laughs> I mean, that's how we should say it. Is it even appropriate to say Women's History yeah. Month? Like, is the left okay with that? Uterine Holders Month. <laughs> uh, so, Lauren, what about for you? Who are Who are some of those ladies that have had the biggest impact on your life personally? Well, I think it's really fitting that this podcast
0: is releasing on March 3rd because that is my mother's birthday. Aww. So I know she li- she listens to every Happy episode. Happy birthday, Mrs. Evans! <laughs> Sometimes she texts me, she's like, oh, "Like, why did you say that? <laughs> it's
1: our Mom. mom.
0: <laughs> but uh, she definitely taught me to be a strong woman who mm. always stands up for what I believe in. <laughs> definitely uh, gets me in trouble. Once my mom, when I was in college, told me, and this is one of those things I'm going to get a text message, uh, I can't believe you said, but she said, uh, I could get arrested for a good reason. <laughs> So, like, if we were ever doing, like, a political protest or something and I got arrested, she would be mad, which is such, like, an awesome thing to say because, well, sometimes when you're out, even now when we're, like, doing journalism and you're like, you know, I don't think I'm going to get arrested, but the, the,
1: yeah, it's not a zero percent chance. Yeah, I mean, our friend Shelby Talcott, who we've had on the show over at Daily Caller... She was arrested during the protests. So, yeah. So, just the thing
0: in your head, even at 30 years old, being like, "Oh
1: yeah, my mom wouldn't be mad." At just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Calling your mom, "Hey mom, uh, so I'm remember what you said? <laughs> <laughs> it happened." Well, a very happy birthday to Mrs. Evans. Or did you send her a card or a gift, Lauren? Uh, Lauren has a very guilty look on her face right now. <laughs> I'll send her a text message in the morning. <laughs> I mean, she is getting a shout out on the podcast. So I, I guess mean, there's that that's
0: way way better than a Hallmark card. <laughs>
1: Now, moms really are the best, though. I I think um, anytime that someone like asks me about my mom, like one of the things that like first comes to mind, um, my mom loves the Lord, and just from like such a young age, she did such a good job of teaching both my and my sister like what that looks like to actually have like a real relationship with Jesus, um, and like genuinely. I, I don't know that I've ever met someone that loves Jesus more than my mom. Like it's such a sweet, tender love and she's like such a tender person and that means she loves people so well. Um, and so I, like, I just feel like, so honored to have a mom that like taught me that and, and raised me that way, and it's genuine, it's authentic. So. See,
0: Virginia, this is the stuff that gets me in trouble. My mom's <laughs> gonna call me on her birthday and be like, "Lauren, Virginia talked about how much her mom loves Jesus and like taught her all these wonderful things." And you said that uh, it's cool if you get arrested. <laughs> I guarantee you. I guarantee you. <laughs>
1: There's lots of funny stories as well that I could share about my mom. <laughs> I don't know if she would want me sharing those on air though. I might get in trouble.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll say my mom taught me to love Jesus, and she said that I could get arrested. Get arrested.
1: No, I I think I feel like my mom. So if I got arrested, my, my mom would be like the one down at the jail, like wagging her finger in the face, like you let my daughter out right now. Oh it would not go well for for those police officers i'll just say that <laughs> uh well for uh for all of our listeners if if there are women in your life whether it's your mom um, or sisters people that have just had a big impact um let us know we would love to if, if you like send me a message on our our instagram account and you're like hey i want to shout out to to this person um i will like add it to our instagram story and we will try and do some nice shout outs for All of the amazing women that uh, play such an important role in in raising us and teaching us how to be strong, strong conservative women, strong women of faith. Um, We want to honor them always. But it's it's fun to have a little bit of an opportunity during the month of March to uh, highlight them. All right. Stay tuned, because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out The Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now it is that
0: time, once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Governor Reynolds delivered the Republican response to Biden's State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Reynolds is the 43rd governor of Iowa and made history by becoming the first woman to hold the position. She was the first governor in the country to require schools to reopen for in-person learning during the pandemic. Because, of course, mom's know best. And then she held public office before graduating from college. Reynolds didn't graduate until the age of 57 when she earned a bachelor's degree in 2016 from Iowa State University. Her speech on Tuesday night was very pointed and clear. America needs leadership right now. Here's a clip.
2: It's time for America to once again project confidence. It's time to be decisive. It's time to lead. But we can't project strength abroad if we're weak at home. And that's what I want to discuss with you tonight. The president and Democrats in Congress have spent the last year either ignoring the issues facing Americans or making them worse. They were warned that spending trillions would lead to soaring inflation. They were told that their anti-energy policies would send gas prices to new heights, but they plowed ahead anyway.
1: This is notoriously really not an easy speech to give because everyone's just watched the State of the Union uh, and they're they're really looking for, OK, what what is the other side going to say in response? You always get so much criticism from the other side. Mm. So I really applaud her for being willing to stand up to give this speech. Um, and what what an awesome moment as as a woman who is um, really taking on such a powerful leadership role in her state, who's led the way during the pandemic. She did a great job, I thought.
0: Yeah, and I think it was really interesting. So I am the multimedia director here at Heritage, and so I live stream everything, right? I'm like the live stream person. So we live streamed the State of the Union, and people watched it. We got a couple hundred viewers, but people loved her speech. They watched mm would have like twice as many people watching.
1: Wow. That's so. awesome to hear. That's cool. Well, and she looked great in her red. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women.
1: Join us on Tuesday for a special interview-only edition. I'm Woo-woo. excited for this conversation. And, of course, then join Lauren and I again next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. But in the meantime, take a moment to please subscribe and share if you have never done so.
0: Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star
1: review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next Tuesday.
0: Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko.
1: We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.